Well, good morning, everybody. Um, this is coming to you from Vernon via a video recording that I'm making on Saturday. Um, I'll get into the details of why I'm doing it this way and not there in person. But before we start, let's uh, open our um, uh, time uh, in the Word with a prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we are in awe of you. Your Word is living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we confess that we have often allowed social norms and comforts to dictate our actions rather than your word. Thank you for your enduring patience and your desire to transform us. We ask that your word will continue to pierce our hearts, discern our thoughts, and guide us towards a life of radical obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning... We are going to be looking at a uh, continuation of Paul's journeys and particularly uh, looking today at uh, Acts chapter 20. So what I'd like to do is uh, read the text and then make a few comments and it neatly falls into three sections. The first section is the events following the riot in Ephesus in uh, chapter 19. Uh, you remember there there was a riot because Demetrius the silversmith uh, was very upset that uh, Paul and the other disciples, as a result of the proclamation of the gospel and many people turning from the worship of the um, uh, goddess and the idols in Ephesus, uh, had been losing business and there'd been a great stir there. The town clerk managed to uh, calm things down in the latter part of chapter 19. And verse uh, chapter 20 begins with um, the statement, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions, he had given them much encouragement. He came to Greece, and there he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater of Berea, the son of, I think it's Pyrrhus, from Berea accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus, and Trophimus. Trophimus. Go say that a few times. And uh, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where uh, we stayed for seven days. So just to give you the background as to what this trip is all about, um, Paul has left Ephesus. Uh, it's really the first farewell, and you'll notice the use of the word encouragement, and I, I find that encouraging, frankly, because <clears throat> um, Paul was constantly encouraging the believers to carry on in spite of all the persecution that they were experiencing. And uh, Luke's account here in the, uh, the book of Acts uh, of the evangelization by Paul of Asia, Asia is very brief, uh, but it needs to be read in conjunction with um, uh, verses 17 to 35, which we'll come to in the second part. Um, and further info about Paul's ministry and proclamation of the gospel also can be gleaned from Corinthians, Romans, and also from uh, the letter that was written to the Ephesians. And we need to bear in mind that Paul's life 
was often in danger from Jewish plots, and this no doubt put him under constant strain. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 11 uh, and 23 bears testimony to just how much he was going through. Let me read you something, uh, particularly from uh, verse, uh, chapter 11 um, of 2 Corinthians. He says here, he talks about great labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Question mark. Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who, who is blessed, sorry, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying, and so on. So there's a list out of 2 Corinthians of the incredible hardships that Paul suffered on uh, these journeys as he ministered uh, to uh, people uh, about the gospel. And yes, the Ephesian period that uh, Paul uh, uh, experienced when he was there ministering to them was a huge success story. And of course, uh, he's the hero of the story, but he's also the martyr, uh, ultimately, of all these uh, journeys. And uh, although we don't have it directly in Scripture, we believe that he was martyred in Rome because there's no further mention of him after that. But his aim was to encourage the believers. And I wonder if that's our aim, to encourage believers, not to tear them down, but to build them up, to encourage each one on their journey of faith. Paul's three-month visit to Corinth was a happy one, thanks to Titus's work and the effect of the letters on the Corinthians. It was while Paul was enjoying the hospitality of Gaius, uh, we read about that in 1 Corinthians and also in Romans 16, which, where Paul says that the whole church enjoyed the hospitality of Gaius. And that's another thing about uh, Paul. He was always encouraging people to be hospitable, to take people in, to welcome them and look after them. Um, he also completed his plans to take the collection money that uh, the Gentile believers had taken up in order to assist the poor saints in Jerusalem. And there's another thing about this journey. On his travels, Paul said, look, the, the believers in Jerusalem are suffering. They're poor and they're uh, under great persecution. They need your help. And these churches <coughs> in Asia took up a huge collection and Paul was en route to deliver that collection uh, to the believers in Jerusalem. Um, so he completed his uh, plans to collect that money 
And um, we see that he then meets with those uh, uh, leaders of, the, of those churches later on in Acts chapter 20. Um, interestingly enough, <clears throat> he has to change his plans because there's a plot against him. His original plan was to journey from Corinth to Syria, a much shorter route, but a plot against him caused a change of plans and he was forced to, to take a much longer route around the Aegean Sea. And this talk took Paul back to Macedonia again, and this meant celebrating the Passover feast uh, in his beloved Philippi. And I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where your frustration has been at an all-time high because you had to take a long way around to find out that this was in fact the better route. We are not told of his ministry at Philippi, but we know that he loved the believers there and uh, perhaps there were fur was further encouragement that they needed. But let me tell you an interesting little story. As I was preparing the summary of uh, my talk uh, so that it could be put in the bulletin, I asked the question uh, whether you've, uh, or how, how do you deal with uh, situations where you have to change your plans? Well, as you know, up here in the Okanagan right now, we are surrounded with fires. And um, I uh, had made arrangements actually to fly down uh, on Saturday, today for me right now, um, only to find out that the Kelowna airport was shut down on Friday because the water bombers uh, needed to have uh, access to airspace in order to pick up water from the Okanagan Lake and drop it on the fires in West Kelowna and uh, on, the, uh, west, uh, on the west side of the lake and now on the east side. So that, uh, that happened. And then it looked like the um, uh, roads were going to be closed. In fact, one lady took three hours to navigate a 45-minute drive from Vernon to uh, Kelowna. Um, and then my son-in-law Johnny uh, stayed overnight last night because uh, he was not able to get uh, get home uh, with his little daughter and my granddaughter and so uh, it looked pretty grim we have uh, my daughter Bronwyn and her two kids here and her husband Colby's coming up uh, tonight uh, as well so things were getting a little bit awkward and I phoned Ken and said look I'm not even sure if I'm going to get down uh, now on Saturday, so um, uh, is there a way that we could Zoom this? So I phoned Phil Middleton and tried to figure out how we could uh, uh, Zoom it. And so I was on the phone with him for quite a while last night. He was very, very helpful, had some ideas about how to do that. And then he said, but you know, the real guy is Sean, uh, Sean Sanders. He's the one that you should be talking to. But he's, going to, he's not going to be there. He's going to be up at a, uh, a camping retreat that some of us are going on. Uh, and I said, well, who's on sound? He says, well, Eric's on sound. So I phoned Eric uh, and he was in the car with Sarah and we had a conversation with him, at least I did. And um, we, I said to him, this is what Phil says we can do in terms of uh, streaming this. And Eric said, yes, I think that's doable. Uh, but I said I could also video it and just... Uh, uh, Dropbox it and that idea came from my daughter Bronwyn who said dad why don't you just uh, video it and then uh, Dropbox it and then it's done well 
Sarah then uh, chimed in and said, yes, that's a great idea. So that's how we got here. But in the middle of all that was a question of, well, why don't we just drive down if we can? And that really sort of threw a bit of a wrench in the works just for a whole bunch of logistical reasons I won't go into. The point is just a little change of that plan threw me into a bit of a tailspin. But here's Paul, and I, well, not only Paul back then, but what about people now who have had to evacuate their homes? Some of them don't know if there's going to be a home left when they get back there. And we need to pray for those people and bear them in our prayers uh, as uh, we go through the week because these fires are just uh, really out of control up here. Um, I think they're gradually getting a handle on it, but boy, when those things get going, it's just unbelievable. The point is, I really feel that God sort of took me my word and oh, really? You want to have a change of plans? You want to sort of ask people down in ECC if they're, uh, how do they deal with a change of plans? Well, here's a change of plans. And I sort of had a bit of a smile on my face while I was uh, having a wee panic session. So thank you for um, being so gracious and receiving uh, this now. And, and the point is, we all go through uh, events in life where we have to uh, change plans. And things don't always go according to plan. And that, but in the end, you have to believe that God's in control. And he was certainly in control here. And so... It's interesting, they talk about the, uh, the days of unleavened bread. Uh, wonderful uh, idea and thought there that Paul was so encouraged by the fact that he could, uh, he could be in Philippi uh, and, and, and enjoy those, that special feast with the folks there. In the second part of this uh, story, we have the uh, gathering of Paul uh, on the first day of the week, Sunday, and we believe that this is a, uh, was, was a common thing back then, uh, where they first began uh, worshipping on the first day because it was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. So on the first day of the week, Sunday, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So Paul realizes this is the last chance he's got to... Uh, really minister to the to the folks and uh, and to convey to them God's word. Now he's using the Old Testament and he's also using the words of the apostles, uh, his fellow apostles, the disciples, people who had actually walked and talked with Jesus. That's where he's getting his information from and his teaching. Uh, and there were many things in verse eight, there were many things in the upper room, sorry, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. Obviously, many lamps is going to soak up a lot of oxygen. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Many, many interesting jokes told about people who give long sermons and that this can be the end result of a, of a long sermon. Well, um... I don't think that was really a part of Paul's teaching that night because he goes down, he takes him up in, in his arms and he says, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And it's interesting because Paul then goes back up uh, and uh, when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long, a, a long while until daybreak 
and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. And a, a beautiful scene where Paul uh, essentially brings this boy back to life. But he doesn't dwell on that miracle. And he doesn't dwell on the fact that he was, the, uh, was God's instrument of that miracle. He, dwell, he gets straight back to the fact that God, uh, God's word is to be uh, heard and obeyed. And in verse 13 of this section, it says, But going ahead to the ship, we, now Luke is obviously part now of the conversation, he's joined them, so he uses the word, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when we met, when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came uh, the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was a very, very important day. It's the day that the Holy Spirit uh, formed the church uh, in Jerusalem. That was the beginning of the Christian church uh, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the apostles and upon the disciples gathered there. And Paul wanted to be there for that very special remembrance uh, day, uh, the birth of the church. And so he was hastening on also to deliver uh, this wonderful gift that um, he had received from uh, the churches, for the Gentile churches uh, in Asia. Now, <clears throat> in verse 17 of chapter 20, as carrying on, it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, mention of this place, Miletus, which is considered to be the birthplace of Western philosophy uh, as a result of a man called Thales. And it's instructive, I think, that Paul chooses this city in which to address the leaders from Ephesus, uh, a city that was uh, deeply steeped in, um, in philosophical thought. And here's Paul saying, well, you want some thought? I'll give you some thought. And he, he addresses the elders uh, as to um, uh, their role in the church. Now, these elders uh, were from local congregations and from uh, re really districts. Uh, the word episcopoi, uh, which is usually translated either bishops or overseers, uh, and uh, were con these people were considered to be shepherds and pastors of the flock. Uh, and the, the address by Paul is not so much an exhortation uh, from the apostle to elders, but rather a presentation of his example of, of pastoral service and how they should behave. The tone is more 
as a fellow elder, I'm speaking to fellow elders. That's more the, more the tone of what he's taking. And he, he's essentially saying, look, the real point of the journey is to be of service. Serve the Lord, he says, with humility. He talks about tears and testing. And he says, this is what will follow true service of Christ. And he says, teach what is useful and helpful to the flock. Teach in public, a teach in private, in people's homes, house to house, and preach repentance to Jew and Gentile alike. Preach faith towards Jesus Christ. That's the first part of what he is, is talking about here. And then he goes on to talk about the, the fact that he has got to go to Jerusalem. Verse 22, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The task of testifying to God's grace, the proclamation of the kingdom of God is what Paul's talking about. Paul's conscience is clear. He goes on, And behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify, in verse 26, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul's conscience was clear as far as the Ephesians was concerned, as far as the believers in Ephesus were concerned, because he had complained, not a part of the divine message, but the whole will and counsel of God as revealed in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament revelations as, uh, as conveyed to him by the other apostles. But in verses 28 to 31, he gives some very serious warnings. He says, look, things are going to get rough. When I'm gone, I know that after my departure in verse 29, he says, or, oh, no, sorry, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's continuing to talk about to these bishops, elders, uh, pastors, shepherds. He's talking to them and saying, look, you need to be on the alert to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Interesting little phrase there, with his own blood. Um, uh, as though God is talking about his own blood. But it shows you the intimacy and the direct relationship between the Father and the Son, that when Christ died, he was, a, he was God, and he was dying for the sins of the world. So Paul clearly makes that link here. And verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, here he says it again, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day 
to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. You see, the word of God, uh, Paul says, is where you're going to find your foundation and where you're going to find uh, the assurance of what is true. And brothers and sisters, we are blessed to have uh, the New Testament, which is the canon uh, put together uh, uh, quite early on in the, in the, the Christian church. We are blessed that we have these uh, scriptures. These are sacred scriptures. They need to be treasured because Paul says, this is what's going to keep you uh, on the straight and narrow. And uh, he's very, very forthright in commending them to the word. Listen to what he says in the latter part of this speech. This idea of commending them to the Lord and to, the, and to his word. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities. You remember uh, in another part of scripture, he says that he worked as a tent maker. He did not uh, take money from the church. He, in fact, provided for all his own needs and yet was able to write uh, an enormous part of the uh, of the New Testament and to uh, go from church to church, uh, city to city, church to church, ministering while providing for his needs. And in verse 35, he says, In all these things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give uh, than to receive. Now, there is nowhere in the gospel where you can read those words. These are words that were passed down, presumably by uh, another apostle. Uh, and Paul remembered that. Uh, not every single word that Jesus said is recorded in the, in the, uh, in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, here's, one, here's an example uh, quoted by Paul uh, of, of a statement by Jesus. But there you got it. It's more blessed to, re to give than to receive. And then we have the final farewell. Many years ago, uh, Nancy and I uh, 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 got married, obviously, uh, and lived in New Zealand. Uh, when we got married in 1979, we traveled down to New Zealand, and there was a lot of heart-wrenching and heart-wringing uh, uh, of hands and tears as we left Canada to go to New Zealand because we were leaving her parents behind. And then came the day for me to emigrate to, uh, to Canada. And uh, I have to say that uh, that was a terrible wrenching time, uh, leaving one's home, uh, parents, uh, brother, uh, nephews, nieces, uh, and coming to a country where I knew that this would be uh, my home. It would be a place where I would uh, spend uh, the rest of my life. And um, the the... The, the terrible wrenching feeling of actually uh, leaving uh, uh, one's home country, uh, it, it was a remarkable, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, a, a great heart tug uh, at that time, and yet knowing that it was the right thing to do. And here Paul has the same, he's conveying the same feeling of, of, uh, of loss and Look, look at how he says it here in verse 36. 
And when he had said these things, in other words, when he had finished his talk to the, uh, uh, to the uh, bishops and pastors and so on, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And I think about immigrants to Canada, and I, one of the things I was going to do if I was there in person is just to get a show of hands of how many people uh, are immigrants. And I, I don't know, Ken, if we could just take a minute now just to, with a show of hands to... Uh, to say, yeah, I'm an immigrant to Canada, maybe an immigrant from a, a part of Canada that's not British Columbia. Yeah, so I'm guessing that a fair number of hands went up at that point because um, very few people actually are born in Vancouver. Most of us uh, in Vancouver have either come from another part of Canada or in fact have immigrated from another part of the world. Well, this is a... a, a uh, uh, weeping and um, they embraced Paul and kissed him. Uh, a common way of both greeting and saying goodbye. Being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So in wrapping this up, what do we learn? Three things. Submission to God does not always lead us to the smooth road, but it does lead us to the road where God leads and protects. It's always a good time to encourage, secondly, it's always a good time to encourage fellow travelers. In order to do that, we need to be in regular weekly fellowship somewhere. We need to show up and be with each other. And thirdly, a Christian farewell is temporary. It's adios or arrivederci. It's never a final goodbye. We pick up our friends where the journey continues through the new Jerusalem and through eternity. I found this uh, little statement and I'll finish with this. This is not my word. These are not my words. I've borrowed this. Our faith journey is not a pilgrimage of observation, affirmation of creeds, Moralism, which is often more judgmental than self-correcting. Nor is it group belonging as though church was some glorified and deified religious club. No, we are participants in the eternal flow of the divine life of the Holy Trinity. We're on a momentous journey where each moment of time that we are allotted gives us the freedom of what to do with that time. Ultimately, we're on a journey of the soul. God calls us to journey deeper into him. As we return our soul to him in love and service. This is our ultimate concern, our ultimate destination. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that our ultimate destination is you. Our destination through life is you. Our destination today, tomorrow, until we die, is you. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus meant everything to Paul. He was the re you, Jesus, were the reason Paul lived, and you're the reason he died. And so, Father, we pray that we would have that same passion, that same desire to be closer to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. And thank you for uh, allowing me to minister to you 
in this way.